If you have your Bibles this morning, we're continuing in our look growing up into Christ, and I'd like for you to take them or your device and turn with me to Ephesians 2. And we'll start at verse 11 today. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made with the flesh in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Now, if you have a Bible and you believe in writing in them, uh, that would be a really good phrase to underline. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. The central idea of this portion of Paul's letter is that Jesus alone can take different kinds of people and unite them in peace. I had you underline it, if you do that. He himself is our peace. That Jesus can take people from different backgrounds, cultures, different ethnicities, different nations, different languages, different experiences, different upbringings, and he can unite them together in peace. There is no one who can do that other than Jesus. An amazing pastor that I admire greatly, Pastor Ray Ortland, said, all that Jesus is, his grace, acceptance, atonement, power, wisdom, kindness, purity, authority, holiness, all that he is, is enough to satisfy and make us happy together. In him, our hearts settle down And we breathe again, and his peace washes over us. Today's society has its fair share of divisions and hostilities. But probably the most divisive wall of hostility in history of mankind is that found between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jews had nothing but contempt for Gentiles. They had derogatory names for them, chief of which was the uncircumcision. And they they used this term because they themselves adhered to the law of circumcision. And that's a hard topic to discuss. Joey read a scripture around it. I've prepared a PowerPoint presentation about circumcision today. No, I haven't. That would be very uncomfortable. Uh, especially for all the men in the room. But the Jews took great pride in adhering to circumcising every male child on the eighth day. And if you were an adult male and you converted to Judaism, guess what waited for you? You didn't get out on that one. They adhered to this 
ritual. And what Paul says here and in most of his writings is that that has become nothing more than a ritual act that lost its true meaning. And he is just echoing what God himself had said to them through his prophet Jeremiah when he said, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire. They, these Jews, had been cutting in all the wrong places. Ignoring God and pompously setting themselves up as the authorities of what God thought and did. Self-righteously hating Gentiles. Considering them to be the scum of the earth. No better than dogs. The common thought was that God loved only Israel. And that Gentiles were only created as fuel for the fires of hell. Rabbis really taught that. A Jew wouldn't acknowledge a Gentile, speak to them, enter their house, or even help a Gentile woman if she was in childbirth. Because after all, that would be adding more Gentiles to the world's population. And if your son or daughter, Jewish, married a Gentile, they were immediately dead to you. In fact, you were required to hold their funeral at that moment. Nothing but extreme hostility in this dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And I promise you that it really went both ways. These two groups were, were divided on every imaginable level. Race, religion, politics, culture, social order, family structure, Hostile towards each other on every single front. Agreed on nothing until Jesus showed up. Because when Jesus showed up, he stepped over the barrier and shocked the system. He had a different plan. He cast out a demon of a daughter from a Syrophoenician woman. He spoke to a Samaritan woman at a Samaritan well. He healed the servant of a Roman centurion. All were Gentiles. All he was forbidden to speak to. And yet he built a bridge of peace to them. And then when he ascended into heaven, he instructed his disciples to take his gospel message to everyone, everywhere. Not just insiders, but outsiders also. To Jerusalem and Judea, yes. But to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth as well. Jesus has always been about the whole earth. And not just the chosen people of Israel. In fact, the chosen people of Israel forsook their call in that they were supposed to reflect as they walked with him the benefits and the blessings of walking with him in order to make others see that that was the best way of life. And they forsook that call and internalized it and grew ingrown and toxic in their devotion to God. They became 
a detriment to the purposes of God, not a representation of it. Now, if there is anything that the church of this day has danger of, it is just that. That the church would become a detriment to God's purposes in the earth, rather than participating and representing him to the earth. We must be careful. Jesus was creating a new community where everyone can belong in him because of him. And where we are not only participants in this peace, but we are practitioners of it as well. I loved what Jessica said today. She's a nurse practitioner. And we are called to be practitioners of his peace as much as benefiting from it. We're to transmit that which we've received. But here's something we don't always expect when entering into Christ, for he, he himself is our peace. We find our hearts being stretched toward people we would have never loved on our own. He tricks us. It's great to love his peace in our lives. It's challenging to have to exemplify that peace to others who are not so peaceful. And because he brings us into his peace, he requires us to turn outward to those who need his peace. We're confronted in this process with our own opinions and our own biases that don't come from his peace. In fact, they may actually stand in opposition to his peace. What do I mean by this? Well, in the Christian faith, there are certain essentials that we have to get right. Call it orthodoxy. Call it the absolutes of, of the faith. They are things that we are required to submit to him in. These essentials are so critical. They're important. They're imperatives. And we find these things in the written word of God, but also throughout church history, they have been uh, succinctly placed into things called the creeds, statements of faith, declarations of what it is that we are giving our lives to. For example, the Apostles' Creed you will find on our church website as a core of what we believe as a community of faith in Christ Jesus. And from that Apostles' Creed, you may have read it, you may have recited it. It's a good thing to have reminded of in your life. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And then a little bit down further, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And then it concludes with, Amen. For the Jesus follower, the absolutes are essential. These are things that uh, we don't give in on. We don't compromise on them. We don't bend or bud, be budged by, by all of the outside uh, political pressure. These are the things that we believe and they are things that we should not give up on. But as much as those are important, 
there are so many more things outside of those absolutes that we also have to walk in. These are areas of freedom that are, that are not covered by the absolutes. They're not the majors. They're the minors. They're the things that we might exercise. They can be as trivial as what to eat or, or what to wear or more critical as how to vote or which basketball team to root for in March Madness. Said that for you. Yeah. Is your ORU Golden Eagles, right? Yeah. So... I did not even mention my team, but yeah. No, actually, that's not an essential, of course. And what gets us into trouble about these areas of opinion and freedom and conscience is that a lot of times they are hot-button issues of our day. Have you noticed that? And these issues can have differing opinions by Christians, people who believe Orthodoxy, people who would recite the Apostles' Creed right along with me, but see a certain issue differently than I do. Now, our human tendency is to see that and judge them for not seeing it the way we do. But I want to challenge that belief. I want to challenge that way of going about life. Because I understand around such an issue like the death penalty, that can be very, very convoluted. I, I used to be for the death penalty. And then I met Jim Newsom. And that changed. Now, I'm not saying you should be one way or the other, but we can talk about immigration. That's a hot button topic. I used to have certain stronger views around immigration, and then we started going to Central America and seeing people in their suffering. And we started going to Sarah Court and loving our neighbors. And you know what? My opinions have changed. I'm, I may have them still, but it's not the priority. And I'm not going to argue with somebody about those things. We can go through a list of things, universal health care or uh, immigration, like I've already mentioned, or any number of things but are they essential? Are they woven into the word of God? Are they discussed and, and portrayed in the Apostles' Creed? I don't think so. Why do we fight about these things? What gets us into trouble is that a lot of these freedoms become arguments. And we need to remember that we're better off when we admit that our view is not an absolute. We know the absolutes. We just talked about some of them. But so much of what we think about are not the absolutes. We just need to fess up. This is the way I see it, but I don't see it fully. And you may see it differently, but you're my brother. You're my sister. And we have to learn to walk together in peace. It's not worth breaking fellowship over or chipping away at the unity Jesus has made in his own flesh. There are also issues within the church. Should we baptize infants or not? Calvinism, Arminianism is an argument. Uh, there's all sorts of arguments within the church today, but those are not the essentials for the most part. Those are the freedoms the moments of conscience that we have to be more careful with. 
We cannot afford to turn our opinion of freedom into an absolute or require others to share our non-essential points of view when what that relationship needs is Jesus more than it needs my opinion. We're called to prove that Jesus can unify diverse people in the midst of an angry world. What else does Paul say in Ephesians 2? Look at verse 15, the second portion. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit in the Father, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. When I read this section of scripture, I feel like I've just cut into a juicy 16-ounce porterhouse steak. There is so much there. And there's no way that we can take it all in, consume it, digest it in one sitting. Uh, It's rich. It's dense with substance. But maybe we can just take a few nibbles of it. First... Verse 15 says, he is creating one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Creating one new man in the place of the two. This new man, this new humanity is the church. It's the church. And the two that it's replacing are the systems of Jewish thought and Gentile thought. He is replacing these systems that men have grown into and been ingrown by, and he is replacing them with a brand new humanity, his people. They're different than the systems and religions of the world, than the hatred and bigotry and divisions that have all been created by humanity. He is creating a brand new man. But understand that this doesn't just apply to Jewish Gentile hatred. It actually applies to every division and faction that exists among us even today. It is to address in the same way the divisions that we realize in our society and world. And it reveals that the diversity in the body of Christ is not the problem, it's the advantage. The diversity is not a problem to be solved. It's an advantage to be portrayed. In fact, it's God's strategy. It's how God designed it. That he would have for himself a people made up of every tongue and tribe and nation and people group all over the earth worshiping him. If you don't like that kind of diversity, then you're going to be really in trouble when you get to heaven. Because that's what it's going to be like. 
God has a strategy for being diversified among his people. And what he is forming of all these different divisions is one new man. We remain who we are in our diversity so as to increase in who he's making us to be in his unity. And it is a beautiful expression of trust in him, recognizing the essentials that we do not cave on, but also realizing that there are a lot of non-essentials that we might need to let go of in order to become this new man, this new humanity, the body of Christ. And again, my de facto mentor for this message that I quoted earlier, Pastor Ray Ortland, he said this, diversity is not a, an optional add-on for churches who prefer that sort of thing. It is God's own plan. It is beautiful and striking. It is non-ignorable. That is so good. But before we push away from this table with this huge 16-ounce steak, could we have one more bite? There's no way we'll finish it all. But there's another nibble I'd like to have. And that's this. That as his church of diverse people built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with the cornerstone being Jesus himself, we, as his people, this new man, are being built into God's own house. We're being built into a temple where his glory and his power are revealed. I know, just look at us. We're a mess just look at all the struggles and divisions we face within the church universal and even the church local. The challenges and the things to overcome. And yet it is us, this diverse people, that God is building into a temple where his presence and power can be revealed. Not too many amens, but that's okay. This is true for the universal church. And that's why Paul said in verse 21, in whom the whole structure, I love that phrase, the whole structure, that's the, the whole church from start to finish, all around the globe, those that have gone before, those that will come after, those that are here now, the whole structure is being joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. But... It's not only true for the universal church, the whole structure. It's also true for the local church that Paul is writing to here in Ephesus, the people that he loves. He's writing this letter. It's true for them. And it's true for every church that's been since them. And it's true for this church today, Covenant Life Church, here in Gwinnett County, Georgia. And that's why Paul would go on to say in verse 22, in him you also. So he said, the whole structure, the big picture. And then he said, and it's for you too. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. The Lord himself is here. He is here working and building in us. He is building us together into a dwelling place for God. 
And it's something he does in us. Our job is to submit to him in the process. He's the master builder, taking stones and placing them next to each other, building them upon this foundation of apostles and prophets, of which Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. Everything is anchored in him. And we, you and I, are bricks in that building, right here in this church. And we're joined together with the universal church. And it is there where the God's presence is going to be revealed and his power demonstrated. We are being built up. That's a bite of steak worth taking. The Lord himself is in this place. And his presence is thick. And it's wonderful. And it's transformative. And it's peace producing. If you have no peace... This is the place to be. For he himself is our peace. So if you're not experiencing God's power in your life as much as you'd like, maybe it's time for you to take a risk and move toward people that aren't like you. Instead of moving away from them. As he builds us together He will bring us into relationships that we wouldn't have had the courage to attempt on our own. But in so doing, we see the beauty and the diversity of what God is doing that we can look different and have different experiences and have different backgrounds. But yet we can all be in Christ Jesus being built together for God's dwelling place in the spirit. It's in this place we have peace where he is glorified today. Let us put Jesus first. Let us get the absolutes right, certainly. But stop arguing about all the non-essentials. Start listening. Start recognizing that we don't have a corner on the truth. He's the cornerstone. We're just a stone in the building. Let's put everything else in the back seat. There's time for conversation and discussion. And there's even time for wrestling and arguing. But ultimately, we are being built up as God's dwelling place. And that is our first priority. Let's stop fighting over what makes us comfortable. Or what seems familiar. Or the facts that we think we've all figured out. And let's grow up into Christ. Allow his peace to rule in our hearts. Celebrate diversity as Jesus forms in us unity and submit to the master builder who is building us together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Amen. Donna, my wife, is going to come and join us. We missed her last week. She was having a wonderful class with the upper room, but I'm glad she's back. I said last week, uh, I was asking for volunteers for those that would teach the class, and some of you thought I was asking for volunteers to come up and speak, and it wasn't that, but uh, I'm glad she's here. Thank you. Jesus Christ has created peace between us and God. The Son of God has become the Prince of Peace, that we, the children of God, could become peacemakers not counting men's sins against them, becoming ministers of reconciliation, and as you so beautifully said it this morning, displaying God's unity 
through our diversity. My part for this morning is to simply read some words of a prayer that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where I have been injured, let me sow your forgiveness. Where there is doubt, let me sow your faith. Where there is despair, let me sow your hope. Where there is darkness, let your light shine. And where there is sadness, let your joy reign. O Divine Master, grant that we may not seek to be consoled, to be understood, or to be loved, but that we would seek to console, to understand, to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in forgiving that we are forgiven, and it is in dying to ourselves, to our pride, our prejudice, and our preferences that we are born to your eternal life. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the revelation of your word to us today. We recognize our frailty so many times where we would seek to preserve our pride and our prejudice and our preferences. But what you're calling us to is to lay down those things. You're calling us to step out beyond our comfort zones. You're calling us to follow in your footsteps and you went to the stranger to the outsider, to the Samaritan, to the weak, to the strong. You went where the Father led you to go. And that's what we want to do, Lord. We don't want to focus on the minors. We want to major on the majors. So help us, Lord, today to see your peace in our own lives, to be recipients of it. We need peace, Lord. Like we've talked about today, we need it in our own experiences, what we face. But we also want to be instruments of your peace. We want to be used in your hand to display the unity of God, even in the midst of our diversity. And we want, oh God, for more and more and more to come into that peace and to join the community of faith and to take their place on the wall that you're building in this temple. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.